Uh, John chapter 5, if you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. You know, we have been for the last, I guess, couple of weeks now uh, in the middle of the uh, Winter Olympics. I don't know if you've been watching that or not. I can honestly say, and I, I don't mean this, I, it's nothing, I don't have anything against the Olympics, but I don't think I've watched one minute of it. But we're in the middle of the Winter Olympics. But did you know the most decorated Olympian of all times? I mean the one who has won the most medals of all times is right there on our screen. Yep, that is a picture of Michael Phelps. He is the greatest and most decorated Olympian of all time. He's won a total of 28 different medals. 23 of those medals were gold, three of them silver, and two of them bronze. The, the closest person next to him would be a, a, a gymnast uh, from the Soviet Union who has only 18 medals. Phelps started swimming when he was only seven years old in Baltimore, Maryland. At the tender age of 15, he broke his first world record and was the youngest person to ever make the Olympic team, at least in the last 68 years. As a part of his training regimen, Phelps swims or swam, I think he's retired now, but he swam more than eight miles a day, six days a week for over 20 years of his life. Now, I don't think you'd disagree with me when I say, boy, Michael Phelps sure did spend a lot of time around the pool. And yet, when we come to John chapter number 5 this morning, we read about a man who spent more time around the pool than even Michael Phelps. And now, here's the catch. This old boy in our scripture this morning in John chapter 5 wasn't there at the pool because of his swimming. He was actually there at the pool because of his sickness. That's right. We read this morning in our text of a man who was very, very sick. So join me now in John chapter 5 and look at verse 1. And let's read about this man who spent a whole lot of time around the pool. Look at verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In, these, in, in, these pool, in this pool lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of uh, uh, blind and halt and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, knew that he'd been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. We're reading about a man here that spent more time around the pool than even Michael Phelps. Now, we don't know what his name was. We don't know where he was from. About the only thing we know about him was that he was an impotent man. The word impotent simply means to be helpless, or it means to be without strength or power. So this disease, whatever it was, kind of disease that he had, was robbing him of his ability to do anything for himself. In fact, we read in this text that it was actually, he was actually brought 
walked, and he was laid at this pool. Now, we don't know what his sickness was, but we do know why he was sick. I don't know what kind of disease that he had, but I do know why he was sick. Look down at verse 14 of this same chapter. In verse number 14, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. You know what Jesus did? Jesus tied his sickness to his sin. Evidently, this young man, this man was sick because of some kind of sin that he had in his life. Now, I've got to stop and say that's not always the case. It's not always the case that people get sick because of some sin. We do understand that sickness is, is the result of original sin, but not all sickness is the result of personal sin. But in this case, that was true. He was sick because of his sin. Jesus tied his sickness to his sin. I don't know what happened to him. Maybe it was because of some kind of a, a, a immoral lifestyle that he had been living. You know, maybe we could call him the paralyzed playboy. Maybe he'd been sleeping around, man, just uh, moving around from one relationship to the next relationship till he had contracted some type of sexual disease. And because of that, it, that disease had left him in this debilitated condition without any strength whatsoever depended upon others for everything in his life. But we, we understand this man was sick. But not only do we understand that he was sick, we also know what he's doing there by this pool of Bethesda. The Bible said in verse number 2, there was a pool there named Bethesda. The, the word Bethesda means this. It means the house of mercy. And I find it interesting that the house of mercy was located near the sheep gate because the sheep gate was where all the sheep that had been raised on them Judean hillsides were led into the, uh, the temple area to be slaughtered uh, so their blood could be shed for the removing or the setting aside of man's sins for another year. Bethesda, the house of mercy. But as we read the story, we find out that Bethesda more resembled the house of misery than it did the house of mercy. And the reason I say that, because there in verse number 3, there's all kind of people who are laying around this pool with all kind of different conditions. In fact, there was sickness there. There was sorrow. There was sadness. And there was suffering there. No doubt, as you moved around that pool, you would hear the moaning and the groaning of very, very sick people. In fact, let me tell you what Bethesda really was. Bethesda in that day was the hospice home in our day. You know, any time somebody had been brought to Bethesda, that simply meant it was the last stop before the graveyard. You see, everybody that arrived at Bethesda had already tried everyone and everything else. It was the last resort. But although it may have been the last resort of many of these people, thank God it was the first resort of the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because he's interested in people. He cares and he has compassion upon the hurting and the helpless. You see, many people, contrary to what they may think, you know, Jesus is not looking for perfect people. Aren't you glad for that? In fact, Jesus is not looking for people who's got it all together. He's not looking for people who have the, the picture-perfect life. Can I tell you who Jesus is looking for? Jesus is looking for the imperfect people. Jesus is looking for the hurting people. He's looking for the weak and the weary. He's looking for the least and the lost. He's looking for the sick and the sinner. Jesus is looking for people people who need help this morning. In fact, Jesus said on one occasion in Mark chapter 2 and verse number 17, Jesus said this, 
that last phrase there, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Can I stop and say this morning that if you are imperfect, if you are weak and weary, if you are sick and sinful, if you are hurting and helpless this morning, can I say you're in a good place because Jesus is here this morning looking for you. You see, in spite of what many people think when it comes to church, church was never intended by God to be a museum where God displays the lives of perfect people. No, sir. God intended for his churches to be more like a hospital, more like a walk-in clinic where people that are hurting and helpless and weary and weak can come and find people that will welcome them and want them and love them and forgive them and, and, and by the help of God and the grace of God be healed. That's what church is all about. That's why this man was brought to Bethesda. He's sick. He's hurting. He needs help. Then too we know what he's waiting on. He's, you see, the Bible said there in verse number 4 that uh, at a certain time, sometime during the year, an angel would come down from heaven and would trouble, would stir up. Here's a word that maybe we used in our Sunday school class this morning. Irritate the waters. Agitate the waters. And when those waters begin to ripple and those waters begin to move and perhaps bubble up, the first person who got into the pool was healed from their disease. So here are these people, day after day, laying there, staring at those waters, waiting for the slightest little ripple, the slightest little bubble. And then the first one in, won. The only problem with that was this. The Bible said there in verse number 3 that there was a great multitude of people laying there. There just wasn't one or two people laying there. There was a great, the Bible said there in verse number 3, a great multitude. Now let me stop and put that in perspective. There are two times in the Bible when we are actually given the number of a multitude. On one occasion, the Bible tells us that Jesus fed a multitude which consisted of 4,000 people. On another time, the Bible said that he fed another multitude of people which consisted of 5,000 people. Now, I don't know how many people were there, but we're told this was a great multitude. So if a multitude would be between four and 5,000 people, then a great multitude would perhaps be six, seven, eight, maybe 10,000 people that were laying around this pool. This man that we're talking about was one of those many thousands of people. Larry lays day in, day out, week in, week out, waiting, watching and waiting, trying to get the drop on everybody else, trying to maybe at the first side of the ripple just roll off the edge of the pool and into the water. Now, this is a great story. But believe it or not, this is one of the greatest stories in all the Bible when it comes to the subject of salvation. It really is. And what I'd like to do this morning, I, I want to just, maybe if I could, give you what I want to call this morning the three great words when it comes to salvation. Now, I hope everybody in here is on the same page when I'm talking about salvation. I know we live in a culture today that's slowly losing uh, its, uh, its Bible language, and I get that. We're pushing the Bible out the window, and we're trying to do away with the Word of God, and we're raising a culture of people today that when it comes to the Bible, Bible terminology, and I'm going to use this word right, it's not an insult, but they're ignorant. 
They lack knowledge. I I don't mean they're stupid. I don't mean they're crazy. I'm just saying they lack knowledge when it comes to Bible terminology. So when I talk about being saved, I'm talking about when you die, your sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus, and you'll live in God's presence forever and ever and ever in a place called heaven. That The Bible refers to that as salvation. Have you been saved? Have you ever received the gift of salvation? Well, this morning from this text, I want to draw from this text the three great great words when it comes to salvation. Are you ready? There are three words that are mentioned in this text that really sum up what salvation is all about. So let's get started. First of all, I want you to look in verse number four. And I want you to, first of all, if you write in your Bible, would you circle the word? Here's the first great word of salvation, the word whosoever. Look at that in verse number four. The Bible said that when these waters got stirred up, then whosoever ever. Who? So it didn't make any difference who they were. The first one into the pool won the grand prize. The first one into the pool was, was made whole of their disease. You know, that's one of the greatest words that accompanies salvation throughout the Word of God. Salvation is for whosoever. Aren't you glad for that? Now, just so we're all on the same page, what does the word whosoever mean? Well, if we were to play the synonym game for just a moment, and I were to go around this room and find out, you know, what do you think? What's, what, what implies? What entails that word whosoever? Here, here are some of the words the thesaurus used for the word whosoever. Anyone, everyone, all, the entirety, the whole. Now, let's put that uh, with the word salvation. When it comes to salvation, let's understand this. Salvation is for anyone, everyone, all, the entirety, and the whole. In other words, what I'm trying to say is when it comes to God's great plan of salvation, God has included everyone. Anybody who is somebody and somebody who is a nobody, I'm telling you, everybody is included in God's great plan of salvation. As of this past Wednesday morning, I don't know where it stands today, but as of this past Wednesday morning, listen to this, there were 7 billion, 876 million, 804,875 people on the earth. So could we say, just to round that up, could we say there's almost 7.9 billion people in this world today? Probably is now. I don't know. 7.9 billion people in this world. Now, if you want to know who of that 7.9 billion people that God loves, can I just say this? Every one of them. Every one of them. You don't have to be beautiful for God to love you. Can I say amen right there? You don't have to be beautiful. Hey, you don't have to be intellectual for God to love you. You don't have to be desirable for God to love you. You don't have to be presentable for God to love you. Listen to this. You don't even have to be lovable for God to love you. God simply loves. You know, you, all you got to do for God to love you, just show up. How many of y'all showed up this morning? I mean, if you showed up, guess what? God loves you. If you've been born into this world, guess what? God, you will never be able to say it and say it truthfully. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Oh, yes, friend. There's somebody that loves you. There's somebody that cares about you. And that is God. He loved you so much that he gave his own son to die in your place. 7.9 billion people and God loves every one of them. And then listen to this. Of that 7.9 billion people, can I say this? God wants every one of them 
to be saved. Every one of them. There's not, a one, there's not one person on this earth that Jesus didn't die for. Not one. That includes you. By the way, aren't you glad God fixed it like that? Aren't you glad that God didn't say, okay, there's 7.9 billion people here on this earth. I want 2 billion of those people to be saved. We would be in a royal mess around here trying to figure out who God wanted to be saved and who God didn't want to be saved. Isn't it just easier to believe that God wants everybody to be saved? I mean, aren't you glad that we don't have to, with our missions program, try to strategize to find out what particular group that God wants to save so we'll just send missionaries over there and the rest of the crowd, there's no hope for them anyway. Aren't you glad that God and his eternal plan of salvation fixed that so whosoever will could be saved? Boy, that's a great word when it comes to the subject of salvation. The word whosoever. And by the way, when we connect that word to salvation, as it's often done in the Bible, we come to understand that God wants every member of my family to be saved. Every member of your family to be saved. God wants everyone we know to be saved. And God wants everyone that we'll never meet or ever know. God wants them to be saved as well. That's God's plan. That is God's will. I may not know the particulars of God's will for your life. I don't know uh, the, the minute details of God's will for your life, but there's three things I know about everybody's life when it comes to the will of God in this building. Number one, it's God's will for you to be saved. If you walked in this room today and you say, you know something, I'm not really sure that God wants me to be saved. Can I put your mind at ease and tell you that the Bible said that Jesus died on the cross. He tasted death for every man. Hey, can I put your mind at ease and just tell you, it is God's will for you to be saved. After you get saved, it's God's will for you to get baptized. Can I have an amen? It is God's will. After you get saved, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Now, I know there are people sitting here this morning, and you've been saved, but you've never been baptized. Can I just encourage you now that you are saved? It is God's plan. It is God's will for your life to follow him in believer's baptism. And then once you are saved and once you're baptized, it then becomes God's will for you to follow Jesus and just live for him. Can I have an amen? That's God's will for everybody. God God wants every man to be saved. Whosoever. Listen to who all that includes. Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, Sandman, Iron Man, Aquaman, Absorbing Man, Invisible Man, Frog Man, Hydro Man, Molten Man, Psycho Man, Titanium Man, the X-Men, and every man, woman, boy, and girl, God wants to be saved this morning. You're included in God's great plan of salvation. That word whosoever brings us all under the umbrella of God's, of God's love. So the first great word of salvation is the word whosoever. But now go back to verse number four because there's a second great word in salvation. And that's this, not only the word whosoever, but look again at verse number four, there's the word whatsoever. You see that? Look again. For an angel went down to certain seas in the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of, what's the next word? Whatsoever disease he had. Now, that word whatsoever, from the word whosoever, we understand that salvation is for, for everybody. But now, in the word whatsoever, we come to understand this, that salvation forgives Forgives all sin. What 
whatsoever. Now, we're told in verse number 3 that this multitude of people, they were made up of a variety of kind of people. For instance, some of them were blind, some were impotent, some were halt, some were withered. I mean, man, they were all kind of people laying around that pool. I mean, there was a variety of people with a variety of needs laying around that pool. Now, if you were to think about this, every one of these conditions in the spiritual sense represents the consequences of sin. I mean, everyone impotent without power. We cannot fight the devil. We cannot resist temptation because before we come to Jesus, we're without power. We're blinded by the God of this world. We're halt. We can't walk right. We're crippled. Every one of those people laying around that pool in the spiritual sense represents some kind of consequence of sin. And yet we're told in this text that when that angel come down and stirred those waters, I mean, the Bible said the first one, no matter who it was, the first one that rolled off into that pool was made whole of whatsoever condition and disease that they had. You know, it didn't matter how long they'd been in that condition. It didn't matter how far that condition had progressed. It didn't matter how bad the symptoms were. It didn't matter how severe the case was. I'm sure there were some people laying around that pool that were in worse shape maybe than others were. But the truth that we find is this. When you got into the water, whatever was wrong with you was immediately made right. Boy, I'm glad and I'm thankful this morning that I can not only declare unto you a salvation that is for whosoever, I can declare unto you a salvation that forgives whatsoever. Amen and amen. You know, there's a lot of people in our day that's been lied to by the devil. There's a lot of people in our day that's been told that what you have done has been so bad that God cannot forgive you. There may be somebody sitting right here in this room today and you have been told by maybe somebody else that because you have done this, you've gone beyond the ability of God's, God's grace to reach you. Maybe there's somebody sitting here in this, day, in this building today and you've been told, wait a minute, you've crossed the line. There's no going back. You've drifted beyond the point of no return. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember this. If you don't, it's fine. I don't remember what I preached from week to week myself. But a couple of weeks ago, remember I preached on that list? You remember that in Ezra chapter 2 about getting your name on the list? And I told you, you know, life is made up of a bunch of lists, like a bucket list and a to-do list and a honey list and a shopping list. And, and, and there's all kind of lists. But if you think back, I told you in that message, there's one list that nobody wants to find their name on the FBI's most wanted list. I mean, man, whatever other list you may have, you don't want your name on the FBI's most wanted list. So I did this this week. I got on that thing, and I looked and found some people that were on the FBI's top ten most wanted people in America. Here's what I found. One man was wanting for robbing and then shooting and killing an armored guard outside of a theater in Phoenix, Arizona. Another man is wanted for shooting and killing his daughter-in-law in Stony Point, New York, back in 2012, been on the run ever since. Another was wanted for the kidnapping and murdering of a little five-year-old girl in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, back in 2000. Listen to this one. Another is wanted for killing his wife the day after they got married in 2012, stabbed her to death. And I could go on and on 
and on. And can I tell you something? All that's bad. But can I tell you that if every one of those people, those people are not only wanted by the FBI, they're also wanted by the great God of heaven because Jesus Christ died for every one of those people. Can I tell you that if those men, and I think there were four of them that I wrote down about, but if every one of those men were to come to Jesus today, there would be enough power in the blood of Jesus to wash away every sin. Can I tell you as bad as all that sounds, if they were to come to Jesus today, there'd be enough grace in the heart of God to forgive. Hey, can I tell you if they come to Jesus today, there'd be enough reach in the arms of God to love. I'm telling you, no matter what you may have done, salvation will cleanse whatsoever sin that you may have ever committed. Boy, I know I'm speaking to some people this morning, and man, have you messed up. You wrote the book on messes up. You've blown it. You may feel like that there's nothing that can be done. You'd give anything if you could turn the hands of time back and undo what you did. You'd give anything if you could go back and relive that situation all over again. You'd make a better choice. You wouldn't be living in the guilt. You wouldn't be eat up with the guilt that you're trying to live your life in. You may be sitting here today and you may feel like all hope is lost. All hope is gone. But I'm glad I can tell you there's a salvation that is for whosoever and there's a salvation that will forgive whatsoever you may have done. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from how many sins? How many of y'all used to, you know, I, a lot of people don't even do this no more, but I still hold out for cake soap. I don't use them squeegee things. And you may, and it's fine if you do, but I just think there's something manly about a wash rag and a cake of soap. <laughs> I don't know why. Hey, I'm getting to the point now I've lost so much hair, I can wash my hair with a wash rag. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm a holdout for a cake of soap and a wash rag, man. That's what, y'all, you can have them, those little sweet, spongy things. <laughs> have it if you want it. Hand me a wash rag and a cake of soap. How many of y'all remember taking a bath with that old ivory soap? You know what you say on the package? 99 and three quarters percent pure. Can I tell you something about the blood of Jesus? It don't just cleanse 99 and three quarters percent of sin. Aren't you glad the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin? Nothing that you've done is so bad that the grace of God and the blood of Jesus can't cleanse in your life. So salvation is for, salvation is for, now I got to close with this one. Now we take a negative turn. Because although salvation may be for whosoever, and salvation may be for whatsoever, look at me, salvation is not whensoever. No, no, no. Did you miss it in the story? You see, here are these thousands of people laying around this pool. They're staring at those waters. They're waiting for the, sli the slightest move, the, the smallest ripple, the first maybe little bubble that bubbles up from beneath. I mean, man, they're waiting for it because they realize they can't get in and get what they need any other time than when the waters are stirred. I don't know what happened. I, I'm just reading the Bible. I believe the Word of God. 
Uh, the Bible said an angel would come down at a certain season. I don't know if that angel maybe took his wings and fluttered those waters. I don't know if that angel maybe stuck a finger in the water and just stirred them up real good. I don't know what happened, but can I say it like this? There was no healing unless there was a divine visitation upon those waters. I mean, in other words, you just couldn't lay there and just fall off whatever you wanted to and get, get, get healed of the disease. You couldn't just lay there and just roll off when you wanted to roll off. Hey, this thing wasn't on your timing. It wasn't on your terms. It required a divine visitation. I mean, an angel had to come down and stir those waters. And when the waters got stirred and the waters got agitated and the waters got irritated, the first one that rolled off was made whole of whatsoever disease they had. But it wasn't on their terms. And it wasn't on their times. It was when there was a divine visitation upon the waters. Now, I agree. Salvation is for whosoever. I get it, man. I believe that 100,000%. I believe salvation is for whatsoever. Whosoever, whatsoever. With all my heart. But you hear me and hear me well, Bubby. You don't get saved when you want to get saved. It, listen, it ain't on your terms. Excuse my English. It's not in your timing. Well, I'm going to go out and live for the devil all my life, and right before I get die, I'm going I'm to get, I'm going to rush into God's presence, and I'm going to get saved. Now, let me tell you. I will stop and say this. There is one instance of that that happened in the Bible, where somebody in their dying hour, right before the buzzer sounded and and, and everything came to an end. They got saved in the dying moments of their life. There's one illustration out in the Bible. I'm talking about the thief on the cross. He lived his whole life out in sin, and right before he died, he looked over at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me without coming. And Jesus said, today, there's one instance of that in the Bible. But let me remind you, there's only one instance of that in the Bible. There is one so that nobody has to despair, but there's only one so that nobody should presume you don't get saved when you want to get saved. You can't go out and live for the devil all the days of your life and come up right to the end of your life and blow the smoke of a wasted life in the nostrils of a holy God and say, God, save me. Here I am. You can't be your own God and live the way you want to live your whole life and then rush into God's presence right before you breathe your last and, and get saved. It's not on your terms. It's not on your time. It's when there's a divine visitation upon your soul and the Holy Ghost begins to stir and agitate the waters of your heart. You say, preacher, how will I know? Look at me. You'll know. Ain't nobody got to tell you, friend. You'll know. I mean, man, when the Holy Spirit of God begins to draw you and pull you with the cords of love, boy, your heart gets heavy, I'm telling you, and you feel like, man, the weight of the world is... I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit of God stirring the waters of your soul. You say, well, I'll get saved when I want to get saved. Who are you trying to kid, friend? It's God's salvation, and it's on His terms. Have you ever thought about it like this? And I'm done, but have you ever thought about it like this? Every day that you put off being saved is one more days 
worth of sin to repent of and one less day to repent in. Have you thought about that before? I mean, every time you come to church and you walk out the same way you walked in, you got an, and, and if you don't come back till the next Sunday, guess what? One more week sins to repent of. One less week to repent in. The, the time is running out. The time is drawing near. Jesus is getting ready to come. Salvation is for whosoever. I'm glad you, you say, I'm a, I'm a Republican. Come on, God will save you. You say, I'm a Democrat. God will save you. You say, well, I'm a Carolina Tar Heel fan. I'm sorry. Ain't no hope for you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Whatever, whatever background you come from, walk of life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, the size of your bank account. It doesn't matter your political affiliation, salvation for whosoever. It doesn't matter what you may have done. Salvation will forgive whatsoever. The blood of Jesus Christ. But you hear me and hear me well. It's not whensoever. It's when God is stirring the waters of your soul. That's when you need to come. Can I say this? Some of you for the last several weeks, God... It's been stirring those waters, stirring those waters. You know why I know that? Because you tell me. You tell me. If God stirs those waters this morning, it's your time. You better come. You better come. Because that stir may never come your way again, friend. This may be it. I invite you to come. The three great words of salvation. Say it with me. But not when so ever. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.